Awesome. So we, we started a series last week called Thank God It's Monday, and we're talking about redeeming occupation for God's purpose. And what does it mean to, to be a disciple of Jesus in whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your industry is that you work in, whatever your family context is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And so last week we talked about rethinking the way that we, we uh, look at our work and our jobs and uh, the, the hope was that we would actually be inspired to go into work on Monday and inspired for what the week holds for us. And so today I want to kind of continue that theme of this idea of redeeming occupations and, uh, and for God's purposes. And so I really like to go hiking and I hike maybe, eh, maybe like once a week. It's been kind of uh, less than that in this season with the busyness of life, but really enjoy hiking hike Camelback Mountain. That's probably my favorite hike in Phoenix. Uh, I also hike Shaw Butte, Lookout Mountain. But one of the, the hikes that is kind of convenient because it's somewhat close is this hike called Lost Dog Trail up in the McDowell Mountains. Does anyone here hike the Lost Dog Trail? Julie? Yes. Lost Dog Trail, beautiful hike up there in the McDowells. And uh, there's a couple trails up there that you can go and, and hike off if you go off of like Thompson Peak right around there. The gateway uh, trails are up there, and they're just gorgeous hikes because you get up, you're north of the city, and you can look out and see Camelback Mountain, see Paradise Valley, and it's just unbelievably gorgeous. Right up at the base of that hike, there is this really interesting, unique, intricate-looking building called Taliesin West. And Taliesin is uh, a house that was built by an architect named Frank Lloyd Wright. Anyone heard of Frank Lloyd Wright? There's a street named after him, right? It's kind of our, our town. This is one of those things that Phoenix isn't really known for a lot of things, but like Frank really right, what he did here is pretty amazing. So this is a, a, a very uh, high-profile architect that had worked uh, in the Midwest out of Wisconsin. His theory on architecture was that there's nature and then there's like humanity that has like moved into nature. And so he was trying to create buildings that had like this seamless thread between whatever uh, the, the nature looked like in that area and then what the humans were building. And so a lot of his architecture, if we can look at this picture, this is Taliesin West. Um, he, he looked at the McDowell Mountains and saw like all of the, the sharp edges uh, and tried to create a house that kind of uh, resembled what the McDowells looked like. He, he did this in the 1930s before there was really anything out on this side of town. Phoenix was pretty small back then. There was nothing really up north. There was like a, a fort that was up in the McDowells, Fort McDowell. And he was trying to escape the harsh winters in Wisconsin. And he had started an architecture, architecture role school? <laughs> a school for architects <laughs> called Taliesin that was in Wisconsin. And to get out of the, the, the harsh winters, he had moved that school out here to Scottsdale by the base of the McDowell Mountains. And it was a way for him to, to get away from the cold and started the school here. Um, they went out into the McDowells back when there was nothing there, and they had to literally dig into the rock. And if you've ever seen the rock up there, it is, it is, it's hard as a rock. It, you, like, they had to literally chop into it, and this was in the 1930s. They had to figure out how to run power, how to run water out there, and it was really kind of this base camp that was set up in the desert. And they ended up creating this unbelievably beautiful building that is now a museum. And, and people go there. There's also a school that's still set up there, and it's kind of this famous thing that the McDowells are kind of known for. So famous that we put in this huge blue sphere on Frank Lloyd Wright and Scottsdale Road that... 
is lovely, and um, that represents Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, what's amazing is that this endeavor that he set out on to build Teleosin West, uh, he did when he was 70 years old. 70 years old. Is anyone here 70 or above? Completely calling out one person. Chuck Akers. <laughs> it doesn't stop. Wherever you go. So, so he sets out to, to build this, which became a masterpiece for him when he was 70 years old, decides to go out to the desert, dig into the rock, and, and create this, this uh, unbelievable place at 70. So Frank Lloyd Wright, with what he was doing with his life, uh, it wasn't about just reaching certain goals or producing anything. His whole philosophy of architecture was this. He would say that architecture for him is not just about buildings. It is about nourishing the lives of those sheltered within them. So there was this why behind the what of everything that Frank Lloyd Wright did. So when he gets to 70 years old, he's not done with this life call of building these places that would nourish the lives of those sheltered within him for his young architects that were studying to create this place for them where they could be nourished. 70 years old, he goes out and he does this. So when we start talking about our work and we start talking about vocation, vocation is this idea of this life calling that when I get to 70, I say, I'm still going to do this. I was made for this. This is what I'm wired to do and this is what I'm leaving behind with my life. So last week we talked about work, and we defined work in a couple different ways. We said that work is good and it's sacred. Go to the next slide. Work is good and it's sacred. Um, work is provision. This is how we provide for ourselves and our family, and that work is also worship and it's service. And so work is this sacred calling from God. We talked about how in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, how Adam is the first job in history is to name the animals. And there's nothing really spiritual about it other than the fact that God had called him to do it. And it was a sacred responsibility to participate in the ongoing creation of the world to manage to bring order out of the chaos. And, and so for him, his work was this thing that God had given him to do. Um, so work is good and it's sacred and it creates provision and it's worship and it's service. But vocation, if we go to the next slide, vocation is, is what we do with our life that, that is, is, is more than just our work. This is the direction that we're headed. This is what we were made for. Our vocation uh, comes from this Latin word that really means voice or call or summon. So your vocation is this call that you have on your life to be a certain kind of person. That is your vocation. For Frank Lloyd Wright, it was an architect, but it was someone that had built these buildings to nourish those who inhabit them. A vocation is a call. It's a summon on your life. It's, it's this this sacred calling of, of this is what I'm wired to do and this is what I want to give my life for. And so there's this long-term picture of where this life is going and what I'm leaving behind. That is vocation. Go to the next slide. Vocation is work a person is called to by God. And all of us have callings on our life. Work and calling and vocation these are all things that I believe are sacred that God calls us to. And it might look differently for every single person, and that's okay. And so a lot of people are struggling with, you know, what do, what do I want to do, do when I grow up? What do I want to do with my life, right? I'm 31 years old, and sometimes I ask that. What do I want to do when I grow up? What do I want to do with my life? And we're all searching for this calling and wondering, is there like a specific calling on my life, or am I just called to do certain 
things. And so this idea of life calling, what is God's will, is a question that's asked quite a bit. Uh, the life calling is tricky because I believe that real life callings are complex and confusing. Sometimes it's more than just one thing, especially in our day of age today. Like, especially today, we, there's all sorts of different things that we might feel called to. There maybe not necessarily one specific thing, so it becomes kind of complex. This is what I want to do with my life. People, especially today, don't necessarily stay at the same occupation for their entire life. They might do a number of, they might switch occupations a couple times in their life. Real life callings are as much shaped by circumstances as intentions. Um, and so you might find yourself uh, finding your calling because of the circumstances that have placed you uh, in a certain time and place for a certain event. And it may not look like what you thought it was going to look like, but your calling comes from those circumstances. Real life callings are progressive. What, what you want to do in life when you're 18 usually changes by the time you're 23. Not always, but then by the time you're 30 and you start you know, having kids, it might look differently. And then as you get more established in life, this calling is progressive and you kind of grow into what the real life calling is for vocation. Um, real life callings often emerge only retrospectively and real life callings often have seasons. These callings, this is what I'm wired to do, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. It's possible that it has seasons. Seasons, uh, our world uh, exists with this rhythm of seasons and sometimes it's okay when things uh, come alive and then go dormant. Um, and so when we talk about calling and vocation, uh, vocation is the work that God calls us to do with our life. We're dealing with something that is quite complex. And so I just want to look at three stories in the Bible of these people who are called by God in the Old Testament and New Testament and just see kind of what we can learn about uh, our calling. So if we go to uh, the first is this, this young man by the name of Samuel. And if you have your Bible, you can open to, uh, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter... I believe it's three. Uh, we have this story, and it says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, who's the high priest. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And so when, when Samuel is alive, the word of the Lord is rare, and there's not many visions. People aren't hearing from God, hearing the call of God. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of, the, of, where the ark of God was. You know, the ark is the thing that Indiana Jones is looking for. It's the ark of the covenant. Then the Lord called Samuel. So think of this setting. Eli, who's the high priest, is, is uh, saying that his eyes are, have become dull and um, he's not hearing anything from God. Visions from God, callings from God, those are all pretty rare at this point. And then you have this young boy, Samuel, who's lying uh, in the place where the ark is, and he hears God call him. And so there's something interesting going on right there. Like, why isn't Eli, the high priest in this place, trying to hear from God? God, what, what are you calling for me as the, as the mouthpiece of, of, uh, of your people? What are you saying? Eli's not around, but Samuel is around, and, and God calls him. And what we find is he's like, you know, he thinks it's Eli, and he goes and he says, Eli, did you call me? And Eli's like, leave me alone, let me sleep, go to bed. And Samuel goes back to sleep, and then God calls him again, and, and he wakes up and he says, who called me? Was it Eli? He hears this audible voice, and he goes and talks to Eli, and Eli's like, it wasn't me, and go back to sleep. And then, and then they finally figure out that whatever is calling you must be God. And Eli says, it must be a voice coming from God. And so when God speak, speaks to you, 
listen and respond. And what we find is Samuel hears from God again, and he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And there's availability in this young boy named Samuel to hear from God, God's call on his life. And what we find is that God gives him instructions, and he says, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle, which is an interesting, I would love to hear like what the Jewish translation is that your ears are tingling. But, but Samuel hears from God, and he's given this call to basically bring God's word to all of Israel. And he becomes the mouthpiece of God for Israel. So this next, this calling that he has, this vocation, um, for him it's not this goal to pursue, uh, but it's a calling to hear. God calls to him and he listens. He says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It's a call that you hear. And so our calling, understanding our vocation, what God is calling us to do, there's an element of being available to what God is saying in our life. And are we able to slow down to be in the place where we can hear from God, which I would argue that Eli wasn't in that place at this point, but Samuel is to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What are you calling me to do? What are you placing on my life? Samuel becomes the mouthpiece of God for this season in Israel's history becomes the mouthpiece of God. So calling is something that we have to hear. Vocation is not a goal to pursue, but a calling to hear. Uh, if we go to the next slide, what we learn from the calling of Abraham. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, is, his name is actually Abram at this point. He's not been, hasn't added the ham to his name. Uh, in Genesis 12, this is a very kind of famous, famous passage because uh, we know Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and all sorts of three really large religions trace, you know, back to Abraham. You know, so, like, there's this huge uh, calling that's placed on Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So there's this calling of Abram, where God comes to him, and he says to leave everything, and you're going to go to this place that I'm going to show you. I mean, how, think of that kind of calling. I'm, I'm calling you away from everything that you know, and I'm taking you to this place that I'll show you, which is like in the future. And Abram's not exactly sure what that means or, or where it is, but he trusts that God is going to show him. And he says, I will make you great, and you will be a blessing, and then you will bless others. This calling of Abraham, go to the next slide, that what we find is that uh, for him, this vocation, this calling from God is more than a job. It's the voice that calls to the deepest part of yourself, the thing that gives your life meaning because it is what God created you to do. And God says to Abraham, you don't know specifically where you're going. I'll show you that. But here's the calling. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. And all of a sudden, Abraham has meaning in his life, this vocation of wherever I'm going to go, wherever God's going to, to lead me and guide me, this calling is that I'm going to be blessed to be a blessing for others. So vocation for him is, is kind of fuzzy for what the future holds, but he knows why he's doing it, so that he can be blessed to be a blessing. And this is what Frank Lloyd Wright, I think, with his understanding that I'm not just going to be building buildings, but the why of why I'm doing it. The why is I'm going to create places for people who are inhabiting them to be nourished. 
So for Abraham, uh, his life has been given meaning by this calling, this vocation that God gives. Next slide. Uh, it says, I love this quote by this author who actually writes for Fuller Theological Seminary, which has just started publishing a new magazine. But well, I saw this quote the other day. I loved it. It said, we might prefer that our calling come with the clarity of the military or medical orders. Instead, uh, callings, they present themselves more like the material for the artist. Here's the clay, make something beautiful. And I like to think of our vocation is, is like that. God says, here's the clay, this is what it is, and then you can make something beautiful out of it. And for, uh, for Abraham, it's you are blessed to be a blessing, and you're going to this land that I'm going to show you. You don't know where it is. Uh, but you have the ability to create something with this vocation, knowing that you're going to bless others. And then finally, this last story is about Paul. Paul, before he was Paul, was named Saul. And in Acts chapter 9, we have this this story of of Saul uh, basically being called by God. And what we find is that Saul is this, this person that's persecuting followers of Jesus, persecuting this church that's trying to start. And, uh, and he's very zealous in his, his beliefs. He's very dogmatic. And so he sees that followers of Jesus are a threat. And what we find is that he's helping basically uh, arrest Christians. Christians are being killed because of his, his influence. And then God gets a hold of him and God calls him in Acts 9 and says, Saul, meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters in the synagogues and masses so that he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners in Jerusalem. So this is kind of what his, he feels like his calling is, is to stop this new church that's being started. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, a voice called to him. It said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So this calling, much like, like Samuel, he hears this audible voice of God saying, what are you doing? And this call is so powerful in his life that it changes his trajectory. And what we find is that as he, uh, as he goes, he runs into this other person that, that God has called, and he says, God says this about Paul, this man was chosen, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. He's also going to be a tent maker. Right. And this is his job. This is what he does as he works. But then he has this other calling. And so what we find in the life of Paul is like most of the New Testament is written because of this man from this experience where he's trying to stop the, the, the church and he's persecuting them. And then he receives this calling. God interrupts his life and says, this now is what you're going to do. And then Paul wrestles and works with what that means. And, and Paul's able to, to do this calling for, for him because uh, he's a businessman. He's a tent maker, and he supports his ministry of, of helping to establish these, establish these churches. And so uh, what we learned from the calling of Paul is this vocation. Now his, his calling from God uh, is the work that he's going to do with his life. And for him, as a businessman, tent making, that starts to intersect with this calling of, of what God is pulling out of him to help start and, and, and promote these churches and take care of these leaders of these churches. So Paul has 
a job as a tent maker, but he also has this calling that runs alongside his occupation, his vocation, is to be a chosen instrument of God to carry the name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So for our calling, um, the next slide, vocation is identity expressed in service to God's mission in the world. Paul gets a new identity, changes his name, he becomes Paul. But vocation is this identity expressed in service to God's mission in the world. Uh, This word vocation is used a lot in our culture, but really it comes from uh, the Christian tradition of this voice or this calling on our lives, that God calls every single one of us to do certain things. Yeah, there's this, uh, with Paul, um, when I think about his life as a tent maker, I would say that his work was to do, his work was what he he would do so that he could do what he wanted to do. There's a lot of do-do's in that. But our work is what we do in order so that we can do what we want to do. For Paul, that was the tent making, which allowed him to, to be uh, this, this, uh, this leader of the church. Dorothy Sayers is uh, an author. Read everything you can by her. But in her, this article, Vocation and Work, she says, the great primary contrast between the artist and the ordinary worker is this. The worker works to make money so that he may enjoy those in life which are not his work and which his work can purchase for him. But the artist makes money by his work in order that he may go on working. The artist does not say, I must work in order to live, but I must contrive to make money so that I may live to work. For the artist, there is no distinction between work and living. His work is his life. And the whole of his life, not merely the material world around him or the colors and sounds and events that he perceives, but also all his own personality and emotions. The whole of his life is the actual material of his work. And I love this example between the artist and the ordinary men because I believe it's the same for a disciple of Jesus. Someone who is following Jesus is like this artist. There's the work that we do, and then there's the work that God calls us to. And oftentimes those can intersect and they run parallel with each other. And what we find with, with Paul is him, him as, a, as a tent maker is the work that he does so that he can do the work that he feels called to do. And that's how vocation works as well. The sacred calling from God uh, to make something with our lives, to create, to leave something behind us, to be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing to the world. Micah 6.8 is probably one of my favorite verses. And it says this, He has showed you what is good and what does the Lord require of you. We talk about our calling, what the will of God is on our life. What does the Lord require of us? In Micah 6.8 it says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your Lord. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your Lord. So whatever it is that you feel called to do, my hope is that you would have the ears to hear it, that you would be available, that you would say, God, speak to me in a way that I know your will is, that I would be in tune with what this calling is. Be available to hear it. And then allow it to be, to be something that you find meaning in, that gives you purpose in life. No matter what it looks like, you know that I'm doing this because This is what I'm called to do. This is what God has placed on my heart. And then, may you keep a long-term view of life. 
even I might be doing this now, but this is where I'm heading. This is what I'm doing so that I can do what I want to do for God. What I want to do for God. Um, as we close today, just a couple of uh, questions. Here's the challenge for tomorrow. So I did, thank God it's Monday. This Monday, tomorrow. Be intentional about start doing what God has called you to do with your life. I don't know how often we wake up every single, I mean, just wake up in the morning and say, God, what am I called to do with my life? And then be intentional about taking steps to do it. Start tomorrow. What is God calling you to do with your life? What is he calling you to do with your current job? What is he calling you to do with this week? But to be intentional, to listen like Samuel. What is my calling? That's the challenge for this week. So we're just some uh, reflection questions. Maybe you can write these down in your own journal. But some things to just kind of process. And Richard's going to come back up, and we're going to close with a song. But take some moments just reflecting on these questions. At this point in your journey, how do you envision your call to God's mission in the world? For Frank Lloyd Wright, he's setting out on this new endeavor at the age of 70. At this point in your life, how do you envision your call to God's mission in the world? And where does your deep gladness intersect with the world's greatest hunger? Uh, to quote Frederick Beekner, calling is found when our deep gladness matches up with the world's greatest needs. But um, think about that question. Where does your deep gladness, the things that you do that makes you feel alive, intersect with, with the world's greatest need, hunger? What is God's call in your life, and how are you going to remain faithful on that call? Maybe you just need to reflect. Maybe you need to be reminded of, this is what I was created to do. This is what I was created to be. How do I remain faithful to that call? And then can you pour, pour your life into that at 70 years old? What is it that you can pour your life into that 70 year old, years old and you still want to do it? And I think that's where we find vocation. Um, so to, uh, we're going to close. Just take some moments to just kind of think about these questions to reflect. I think God still calls all of us. It's not necessarily like the, the loud, audible voice that Paul receives. But in our spirit, we hear what he's calling us to do. And in this moment, to, to, to slow down, to be quiet, and to listen to God, what is he calling out of you, out of your life? And we close each week with the Eucharist, with communion. And uh, we want to center our lives around the, the memory of what God did for us through Jesus on the cross. And so when we take the Eucharist, it's symbolic of, and a reminder of what God has done for us through Jesus. That when we talk about work and, and striving and, and producing, and our, our, we, we're reminded that all of the work that needed to be done on earth was done already for us on the cross as Jesus died for us. And so the communion is available if you'd like to take it today. The bread represents God's body that was broken open for us, and the juice represents the blood that was poured out for us. We believe that the world was healed through this sacrificial act of God. Um, so that'll be available over there if you'd like to take it. Maybe you just need to sit down today and reflect. Maybe you need to just jot down as you listen to God's voice what he's calling you to do. But let's just take the next uh, four or five minutes and, and reflect. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you that for how big you are, how small we are, you still meet us where we're at. You speak to us. You invite us into your story. You allow us to participate in your work in the world. 
You love each one of us enough that you've given us a unique calling. Lord, I pray that we'd have the courage to live up to that calling as we hear from you, no matter what else anyone else says, that we'd have the courage to live to please you, to bring you glory. Lord, I pray that your uh, calling would be fresh on our minds as we enter into this new week, as we get ready to interact with our coworkers, with friends, with family. that we'd find meaning in who we are in you. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would bring us wisdom and clarity with the complexities of vocation. Speak to us right now, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.